0: All right, welcome to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's on the wing podcast. Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, faithful. I am jacked up about this particular episode. I think I have. Uh, I think I emailed this group probably over a month ago, and I probably emailed them every two days since then, making sure that uh, everybody could get uh, square away the time. Uh, I'm going to refer to this as a two part mixed bag mashup. So, if you remember rock and roll supergroups from the 70s and the 80s, that's what we got going on the next two weeks. Uh, Mashing up for a season recap this episode, we've got Nick Larson from the Project Upland podcast, Tyler Webster. From Birds, Booze, and Buds podcast, and Darrell Smith from the Gun Dog Notebook. That's tonight. Next week, we got the mixed bag mashup number two with Travis Frank from The Flush, Ronnie Bame with the Miller Light in hand from the Hunting Dog podcast, and Marissa Jensen from Women on the Wing. So, we got two really, really fun episodes of On the Wing podcast coming at you with some of my favorite folks in the Upland world, and I, I'm just thrilled to death uh, to, to have Nick, Tyler, and Darrell with me this, this evening as uh, we're recording. Um, what what are you? What's the temperature in uh, Duluth right now, Nick?
1: Um, you know what? I just went out and reshoveled my deck a little bit. There's a dusting on there. I am bracing for the deep freeze. I don't feel it yet. I think it's still it's still above 20 degrees, but I know it's supposed to dip quick. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and, and Tyler is, is a little bit further west. So air temperature, it's about 4 <laughs> above, but
2: the windshield is negative 17. And uh, on Saturday, the high is negative 8 and the low is negative 20. That's air temperature, not wind chill. (laughs) I
1: I will say that since I've gotten to know Tyler over the last couple of years, like just in our, I don't even really ask him regularly, but in our casual conversations, I basically know whatever he's experiencing for weather today, I'm going to get it tomorrow. Like he's, we're right Right. on the same path. (laughs) And from a
2: steamy Georgia, (laughs)
0: Georgia, <laughs> steam compared to what y'all got. Yeah, Steam. <laughs> uh, all right, give it to us. How warm is it in uh it the is, area? It is 48 degrees right Jeez. here,
3: right now. <laughs> that sounds nice. And that's cold for me.
0: Like <laughs> that's that's cold. Okay. It's all relative. Well, um, yeah, it sounds balmy to me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, fellas, thank you so much uh for joining for this episode what what i want to do is kind of you know recap the season that was and i know you know we're all jealous of Durrell because the season isn't quite over in georgia and the south
1: yeah
0: um uh, but but um uh an awful lot of the country has uh cashed in their their licenses for the 20 2020 2021 season so you know what i'd like to do is start with um you know, maybe a little bit of a roundup of where you hunted this year. And we'll start, start in the West with, uh, birds, booze, and buds, Tyler Webster. Where, where'd you hunt this season and, um, what jumps out to you?
2: Well, where didn't I hunt this season? Um, so, uh, I started my season, uh, September, I think it was like September 3rd or 4th, uh, in Montana. And uh, me and a couple friends went out to Montana and we did uh, the, the Montana grouse slam. We got all five species of Montana grouse in a week. Um, we started with uh, sage grouse and sharptails in central Montana. Uh, we moved over to the far northwest corner of the state, hunted ruffs and spruce, and then went and hit some mountains uh, about 8,500 feet elevation for some blues. And uh, that was kind of the kickoff to just a whirlwind of a bird season. So we started there. Um, I spent a lot of time in North Dakota this year because uh, if anybody has ever hunted North Dakota knows it's kind of hard to leave here in September and October. It's kind of a good time of the year to be around here in North Dakota. Um, But then uh, December 1st or 2nd, I took off, hit South Dakota, Iowa, Minnesota, went all the way over to Michigan, hunted rough grouse for a week, then back to Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas, New Mexico, and about three weeks in Arizona before coming back to North Dakota mid January, and then uh, just <laughs> finished up my season last weekend in South Dakota for their final uh, the final days of, of South Dakota season again.
0: So, and I'm certain that a ton of our pheasants forever and quail forever listeners know Tyler Webster, but not everybody does, and I'm sure a lot of a lot of our listeners are scratching their head wondering. <laughs> How the heck does that guy get that much time off of work? <laughs> so I've been asking the same. <laughs> <laughs> you you have a a really unique, really unique job, don't you, Tyler?
2: Yeah, uh, I'm a I'm a government contractor. I have a couple of mail routes, rural mail routes here in North Dakota. Um, I've had them for about six years now. Uh, basically uh I, as long as my employees show up to do what they're supposed to do i don't really have to be there so uh like i i make sure that everybody has the required amount of time off during the summer um this time of the year i'll work every day uh all summer long all spring but come about mid august i'm checked out and i'm not uh i'm not going to be be around uh, a whole lot so i think i worked Three days in September, four days in October. Didn't work at all in November or December. And then uh, I think I had to get back to the real world in January a little bit. I think I worked six days
0: in January. And if folks would like to apply for a mentorship, uh, what's your email address? No, I'm serious. <laughs> are you looking, Bob? Uh, uh, are, right. are you looking? To... Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> you, you, uh, you definitely take the cake for the most states and the, uh, in the most adventures this year. What what stands out as the highlight for you.
2: Man, it's really hard to beat that that Montana grouse slam. Uh, it was it was an incredible trip with a uh, a bunch of really good guys. Um, we had. think there were seven of us for the sage grouse and sharp tail hunt there was a lot of birds in montana this year um but my favorite hunt of the year god it's so hard it's so hard to pinpoint um arizona this year was on fire i was down there for for a good chunk of time the desert birds were just out of this world we were seeing two to three hundred gambles and scale quail every day Mm -hmm. um it was like the entire season was like i can't pick a favorite moment it was just that good 133 days in the field this year—a personal high—and uh, man, I uh, it was it, it was a, it's a season that's going to go down in the books for me for sure.
0: As uh, as I look to the the east, and my buddy from Duluth, uh, Nick Larson from Project Upland podcast, <clears throat> yeah, we we talked we talked early throughout the summer, really about yeah. hey, things are shaping up pretty good habitat wise. And weather-wise, uh, but we didn't talk a whole heck of a lot during the hunting season. Yeah uh, did Did you find that the predictions, like Tyler did, that there were going to be pretty good bird numbers? Um, did you find that to be true throughout the the country as well?
1: I would say, short answer, yes. Um, the The one place that I have the best read on would be. Upper Great Lakes, grouse, rough grouse hunting in, in Minnesota and Wisconsin. That's where I spend the bulk of my time. I did take, um, as I've gotten uh, used to doing the last couple of years, I took one trip in September out west uh, in Tyler's part of the world, hunted North Dakota, that early season sharptail hunt. And I've come to really, really love that way To I actually, I kicked off the season in the rough grouse woods for Wisconsin on opening day, which or opening weekend, mid September. Then went out to North Dakota for about a week, and then kind of like Tyler, I like to after I get that early trip out of the way, I like to stick close to home through the oh. the heart of the rough grouse and woodcock season. So, I spent the rest of September, October, November uh, hunting rough grouse and woodcock in Minnesota and Wisconsin around here. And I would say yes, the I think if I recall, I think the the rough grouse drumming counts in the spring were like on. Even, I don't think we saw mm-hmm. much of an uptick based on the previous right. year, but the consensus was amongst myself and a lot of other hunters that the spring was pretty good, dry conditions, optimistic, you know, everybody was optimistic. And that's just, I think that's kind of up, upland hunters by nature, but uh, proved out. I, I spent 58 days hunting rough grouse in Minnesota, Wisconsin, and uh, got a pretty good read on the birds. And I had, uh, had a good season. We moved a lot of birds. I felt like we found birds where we, where we wanted to. We had some strange weather and some, some other things that kind of mm-hmm. shook it up a little bit. But I think, um, when all is said and done towards the end, um, it was a good, good season in the rough grouse woods. And I did make one trip to South Dakota in November. Uh, that was a blast. Got to do some pheasant hunting out there. Shot my first pheasant, Bob. We were talking about so that. Th- I- I was
0: going to ask you because I I did see the editorial calendar for Project Upland uh, heading into the season in one of the the proposed films was Nick's first rooster. (laughs) Um, So I take it that that that's going to happen or that did happen.
1: Well, yes, it did. I, the The trip out there ended up being, um, we were doing some stuff with, we went to Greg Cronkite's farm, the owner of Dakota 283. So we we're doing some stuff with Greg and uh, Greg was kind enough to invite me out. Um, I had him on the podcast and keep in regular touch with him and uh, just got to go out and see his farm and hunt wild pheasants around there. And it was still a sharp tail season there. And I had my pup and I, I actually missed a perfect opportunity on a sharp tail that my pup pointed. So that was one memory there, but I did shoot my first, uh, handful of wild roosters. And Mm. I gotta say it was, it was a blast. I really, really enjoyed pheasant hunting out there in South Dakota.
0: Did it, um, did your first, your first rooster match up what you expected or was it different?
1: Um, well, I guess, you know, I never had the, I never really envisioned what my first trip would be like. I would say it probably was a little different than maybe I thought because when we got there, Actually I should rewind the start of this season. My six year old English setter Hartley went down with a torn cruciate. And mm-hmm. I now know that he partially tore it in the fall of 2019. He had a really minor injury that once the off season hit, it never progressed, but it never went away. And then as we ramped up to, uh, this fall 2020 hunting season, I could quickly tell it was just going the wrong way. And after mm-hmm. opening weekend, Wisconsin i had it, i had him looked at in august and even at that time the vet was like i just i'm not seeing anything that would make me want to do anything more um so it was just kind of a wait and see and right away he came up lame um the first run out in north dakota and at that point i was fearing the worst and long story short we confirmed it torn cruciate so he's out for the season and then so now i have my pup i had fortunately had was planning to get a pup we got a pup in july so now i've got a four-month-old setter who is going to get all the attention and uh that ended up being kind of the the, really the storyline of my entire season but when we got out to to south dakota i was i would have envisioned it hunting over my own dogs right but when we got there i was waiting to kind of do my thing with the pup and give her some time separately. But we first, the first hunt was with Greg and his buddy in four labs. And so I felt like I got the real authentic experience. It was Greg's farm, his country, his dogs. And uh, so that was kind of different, but it was really awesome.
0: That's That's fun. Uh, all right, moving back to Balmy, Georgia. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> What's what'd your season entail? Where'd you, you travel a lot this, uh, this fall? I,
3: I, I traveled a lot locally. Um, so I made it, it kind of worked out anyway. Cause I, I kind of had a, a good number of research projects to do, but I, because of that, I was actually able to do something that I, I, I really wanted to do, which was actually be a little bit more thorough about hunting down here in, in Georgia, where I'm at and and uh, also getting access to some pretty historic places. Um, I was able to hunt two plantations that I've just always wanted to get onto. Um, one pretty significant um, in terms of the black Hand black field trial handlers club that I'm a part of. Um, so I was actually able to hunt um that's my daughter <laughs> i was actually able to hunt um one of my um one of my like most favorite places and actually it was a place that i found my mentor um when i first started hunting so it was kelly pond plantation and i was also able to hunt um nilo plantation which mm. all of that entailed me getting a whole lot of horseback work in <laughs> All of that entailed me getting a whole lot of horseback work in. Sorry. No, that's so all right. of that. For,
0: for <laughs> listeners, that that wasn't Nick Larson. That, that, was, uh, that, that, that was not. That <laughs> is my son, Avery. He, he didn't like me uh, being here.
3: But so, because of that, I was able to get to places that I just always look forward to doing, which entailed meant a lot of horseback work for my dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I was able to do that. And I also hunted one. WMA that that is like my honey hole, and then another WMA that was new, and man, I I, I found on my Onyx app, man, I was able to put in like five or six new waypoints, you know, for some super cubbies, man, like mm. some really dope cubbies. Um, so my goal this year was just to be way more thorough and get to some of these historic places, man, and I, I was able to get it done. Um dogs ran well in front of horses i mean ranged like a champ you know and uh you know that that was on my 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 to do list
0: for the season that's terrific and, and i love that you you brought up uh, hunting wmas cuz that's something that i don't think mm-hmm. is talked about enough uh particularly when it comes to bobwhite quail hunting in the southeast public lands mm-hmm. opportunities on state forests mm-hmm. and wildlife management areas to you know, for the for the person that looks over the the fence and maybe has never traveled uh, to Georgia or Alabama or Mississippi, what what is the public land quail hunting opportunity in in your neck of the woods? It,
3: <laughs> you know what is funny, man, and I and I'm still gonna shout out um, a gentleman that I would actually met down there. He read one of my articles and was motivated enough to. Get out there and get it done. You know, I didn't give him give him any locations or anything, but he was able to kind of figure out where we were at. So. um, The opportunities are here. I don't know why, for the life of me, the narrative of Georgia quail hunting is actually, I mean, I know why, but the narrative of Georgia quail hunting is basically that there are no birds here and every covey that we located pointed had flushed and and maybe shot into or maybe didn't they were at least 10 to 20 bird cubbies Mm. I mean like it was it was it was the quintessential you know red hills, south Georgia like you know wire grass piney woods that that I mean the light coming through the trees you know the whole thing that that folks be painting about you know Mm -hmm. and the opportunities are here. I mean, and you're not going to, you know, I'm not expecting anybody. And I'm not about to sit here and lie like I get into birds like Tyler does. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's sure. just not that's not realistic for Georgia. And I'm not about to sit here and say I get into grouse or anything like Nick does. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's that, again, is not realistic. But there's <laughs> plenty of birds here. I'll tell you that. And actually, I think this year the numbers were up. Mm-hmm. If I'm not mistaken the number I mean it's a huge shout out to the 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 um you know tall timbers and bob white quail alliance and and, and everybody down here the conservation work is immaculate down here. Mm-hmm. And well, if still- you know how to find habitat and you know where to get into them I mean you can get the job done.
2: It's still a lot better than uh than not hunting. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, yeah, like exactly. any that you can get out, like if you can get out any place in the east and actually get out on a piece of public mm-hmm. land and move some wild birds, yeah. it's a hell of a lot better than sitting
3: on the couch. Yeah. Well, and see, that's the narrative, Tyler. Like everyone's like, "Oh man," you know. And then you you get these dogs that don't necessarily know how to handle wild birds because folks get discouraged and start preserve hunting. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I can respect that if that's where you are at, but. Man, it's the, a different game for sure. Here. <laughs> you know, like I, I don't ever knock nobody for getting into birds. If you off your couch, like that's all that matters. Yeah. But I mean, the wild bird opportunities are here. And in Georgia, there's a reason why we have the allure and the narrative of, you
0: know, classic traditional, you know, bob white quail hunting. It is here. You know, I, I build this as a little bit of a season recap. Well, mm-hmm. your season's still going in Georgia. And I, and, <laughs> yeah. and, I'm, I'm going out this weekend, matter yeah, fact. man. Yeah, <laughs> and, nice. and that goes through the end of February. And to me, I think about how you know when, when you look at Instagram in January, like anybody in the bird wo- bird hunting world is in Arizona, <laughs> right? I mean, yep. It, yep. M- Mern's quail and desert quail. It just particularly in the last four or five years has just blown up in Arizona. And I, I give credit to Arizona game fish and parks. I mean, they've done a wonderful job promoting that resource and public opportunity. And to me, States in the Southeast like Georgia and Alabama where the seasons are still going and people in Tyler's neck of the woods in Minot when it's going to be negative 25 with a windchill, I'm looking for places to go (laughs) and and find a little bit of warmth uh, and, you know, maybe don't want to sit on a beach for spring break, but, Mm -hmm. you know, getting on public land in the Georgia Piney Woods, you know, for the next three weeks of this February when everything else in the country is closed, I mean, boy, that seems like a missed opportunity from a tourism department in some parts of the country. I mean, it it
3: really is, man. We had a running joke. Me and my buddies that I do hunt with, we we uh, kind of a little corny, lame joke, but it's funny. It was funny to us at least. We go down there in 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 Hawaiian shirts, <laughs> you know, in the middle of December, just because we were like, it feels like summer down there. <laughs> so- <laughs> like, it's, it's forty eight degrees here, and I'm I'm thirty minutes outside of Atlanta. When I go to South Georgia to hunt, there man like it it's probably a good 50-60. Like it it significantly increases.
0: Mm. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> so is that going to be your new profile picture you in a Hawaiian shirt?
3: I, I, I'm a flex in a little Hawaiian shirt, man. <laughs> Under the bird vest. <laughs> and it, it look it's not like I'm a big wax cotton kind of guy and stuff like that, but my buddies once we got done hunting, we were like, "You know what?" I mean, we did get towed up by some briars and stuff, but it
0: wasn't that hot. <laughs> it wasn't that bad.
2: <laughs> I guess it's so, not much. I, I wore you know, I wore a golf shirt in Arizona.
0: <laughs> exactly, <laughs> you right?
2: <get> yeah. <laughs> Got to yeah. wear something. You just weren't
1: on the golf course, though.
2: <laughs> I was not. So. That's all good. <laughs> in, instead of instead of uh, instead of swinging a nine iron, I was shooting nine shots. So. I like that.
3: that <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> hey, that's, look, that's that's how you do it. And you was walking probably way more than, than, than a, uh, was well, that a, a I'll, I'll tell one? you,
2: I, I don't, I don't know anybody in the world who would chase a, uh, a golf ball up a, up a Merns quail Canyon, but if there <laughs> is one guy out there, that's a bad SOB right
0: there. <laughs> <laughs> you So you're, you man. you've been traveling to Arizona, Tyler, to hunt desert quail Merns longer, I guess before it was a fad. I mean, you've been doing this for a long time, this is my
2: haven't f- you? This is only my fifth year. Uh, it just oh, seems like done. a long, a, a lot longer. But uh, it's <laughs> this is kind of the first year that I've been going down there uh, that we that the desert quail really kind of saved the season. Um, so the the first mm-hmm. uh, for for the years previous, it was always the merens quail we're kind of putting on the show, which are still hands down my favorite because they're. Uh, well, they're civilized. Uh, they behave for dogs, uh, whereas the desert birds, not so much. But uh, yeah. um, there wasn't a whole lot of mernsquail around this year. and We did have a couple of pretty good hunts. Uh, I think I sent you guys some videos uh, that were that were pretty good. I got the the classic Mernsquail explosion in front of my little dog, CJ. It was pretty fun. But, uh, yeah, I've been going down there now. Uh, this is my fifth year, and um, I tell everybody that, that asked me, uh, it's like, man, if you're going to go to a new state, plan on not really understanding anything until like your second or third year. Yeah. Because like, I mean, I didn't know anything like the first year I went down there, we hunted for a week and I think I shot five birds and found two coveys. And that was it. Uh, the next year you kind of start expanding out and figuring out, uh, you know, where, where you can kind of go back to those spots. So you have those in your back pocket and kind of start expanding. This was kind of the year where it's like, okay, so now I know I have canyons where I can go and find myrn's quail. Um, I know I have spots where I can go and find gambles and scale quail. And uh, man, we just this year, I mean, we, we really put it together, even though it wasn't like I said, it wasn't a great year for the Merns. But uh, when you're seeing coveys of 60 to 80 gambles quail, it's, it's 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 easy to not go climb mountains.
3: <laughs> you know, Tyler, you you're making me feel bad because I was supposed to be in Arizona right now with my buddy Paul that's down there right now. I missed that trip. Yeah, it's the last weekend of the season this year. Uh, usually, it goes a little oh. bit later, I
2: think. But it's uh man. It's a it's a special place and, and a really nice place to spend uh spend the cold months. Uh, when instead of being up here freezing, I can go down there and hunt in a t-shirt.
3: Shoot, man. Well, I'll be down there next year, so I'm taking note from you.
0: <laughs> it, it's a terrific. I got to experience it for the first time, not this January, but last January, and it was mm-hmm. eye-opening, particularly going. Between the two, you know, Mern's, then back to the, the Gambles and um, uh, Scalies, the desert quail, you know, just bouncing back and forth in, in a matter of maybe 30 miles, you know, and it's just, oh, it's like we had one walk this year. Montana where... versus, yeah. Like we we had one walk this year where terra- we flushed, we flushed
2: uh, Mern's quail uh, up in the canyon on the way out of the canyon we flushed gambles and when we got down to the trucks we flushed scales all in one walk all in one day and i uh we ended wow. up getting the trifecta in one walk
0: wow <laughs> what so, uh, so t- I'm, not, Tyler, I'm not telling where probably, that spot was <laughs> <laughs> well you probably hunt more so if if this is the mixed bag mashup you're you're Mr. Mixed Bag uh, you you hunt more different species than virtually anybody i know so for folks that you know maybe are diehard pheasant hunters diehard grouse hunters diehard quail hunters um what's what's your like most underappreciative bird what what one what upland bird would you point folks to and say if you've never hunted this you got to give it a try
2: well, the most underappreciated is still—I mean, it's always going to go to the sharp tail grouse for me, for just pure underappreciation. They're—they're um, they're a bird that uh, they, they punish bad dog work. They will burn up uh, your legs. Uh, I mean, you can put on miles upon miles upon miles, and then have your the dog blow it for you. Um, they're, uh, they're starting to really make a comeback in popularity though. And I can tell you that because this year, uh, where I live in Northwest, North Dakota, we've seen more non-resident hunting licenses, uh, hunting or trucks and, and dog boxes and everything else Ooh. than I've seen in my lifetime. Um, which I love, I mean, that was great to see people getting up there, but, um, the, the one that, that, that always is going to hold a little bit of, of, uh, it's kind of what I've. Really become known for, even though I am, like you said, a, a very much a mixed bag hunter. Is Hungarian partridge. They're, uh, like, I mean, they're they're a, a mysterious little bird that not very many people have gotten figured out. And uh, I've got them pretty well clocked. And uh, it does it does help that uh, I live in a spot where there's a lot of them. But uh, they're if you haven't ever witnessed a dog locked up on point and a covey rise of like sixteen to twenty huns getting up at your feet. Man, that is something a guy's got to do because they're like they're like Bob Whites, but twice that size, and they will absolutely destroy your shooting average.
0: Tyler mentioned, you know, how many non-resident vehicles and how many people were out this fall. Nick and, and Darrell, did you experience the same thing? Like, you know, we've talked about it um, on this yeah. podcast with the, the COVID pandemic and license sales. Is your firsthand experience or are more people out and about chasing birds? I
1: would say that it was definitely the topic of conversation and most people that I talked to, but I don't know. I don't know if I'm scratching my head or what, but I don't know that I saw it really in, in hunting in Minnesota, and Wisconsin, rough grouse covers. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's the areas that I hunt or, um, something else going on, but, or maybe there's just that much public land. Cause I mean, it's, it's, uh, there's a lot of space in the, in the places that I hunt, and i mean it's not like not like where i live duluth is not it's just not a small city and the twin cities isn't really that far away so i i was i was kind of like bracing for it but i mm-hmm. never felt like i never felt like when i was in the woods i thought gosh i can't believe all these people
3: hmm. what about you Daryl? well um as excited as i am to have new people coming out and getting on public land um I think it was a, a few more people than normal because I was a little more pissed off that I saw two more trucks <laughs> than I normally see <laughs> in my honey hole. So I know it was more folk getting out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah.
3: Um I I think that it was um I think that it was something that was because of COVID and COVID kind of ran through here in Georgia. Um COVID kind of ran through here really? in Georgia pretty bad. Mm-hmm. And I think, especially it being like COVID hit Thomasville like really, really hard. Like, I mean, it was sad how hard it got hit. I think because that place is such a big hunting spot,
0: mm-hmm.
3: people didn't have anywhere else to go. Everything in Thomasville, Elmodel, Camilla, Albany, T- uh, Tallahassee, that whole Red Hills region. Mm-hmm. I mean, got ravaged by COVID. What do you do? You know, so I there were a few more dog boxes than I would have been thrilled to see, but I'm <laughs> glad people actually were still doing the distancing thing in the woods. Yeah, you know, I I, I can't knock you for that,
0: Tyler. Beyond uh, what you saw in North Dakota when you were traveling, do you see more hunters in Arizona and some of the other states?
2: I know uh, just based on uh, my personal uh, Instagram following, people that I know and follow on Instagram, that there was a lot of people down there. Uh, the nice thing about Arizona, I think, is kind of what, what Nick was talking about, is that there is so much public land in Arizona. I mean, like 70% yeah. of the state is public land, so you don't ever have to be on top of uh, on top of each other. Um, we went and kind of started, branched out even further, looking for more Merns quail, and uh, we've seen a good number of people myrrhns quail hunting but i will tell you the place that i've seen surprising uh amounts of of hunters was kansas when i was in kansas for a week that i spent down there i mean we were I, we literally based i think i googled cheapest hotel in town and when you went there <laughs> it was just packed with bird hunters i mean like up and down every side of the hotel Just yeah. i mean like it was like okay well fine and I mean, you get to some of those weehaw spots and I wasn't down there late. I was down there in December, but, um, dog boxes and trucks from Texas and Oklahoma. And I was like, why the heck are you guys up? Do you guys have quail down there? Right. I mean, why are you guys coming up here to Kansas? And I seen, uh, I think a lot of the people from North Dakota and South Dakota were still hunting their home States. Um, but man, a lot of people from Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, all over in the East. And I couldn't believe the number of people in Kansas from Texas. It was really mind blowing, but, uh, Mm -hmm. other, I mean, kind of all over, we didn't, we didn't see a whole lot of non-resident hunters. Uh, at least I didn't in Michigan. I'm sure there were some, but I was there late again. That was in December. Um, Montana didn't, didn't see very many people over there hunting at all when we were over in Montana. And that was early.
0: I think Nick you know when you talked about rough grouse numbers or hunting yeah. numbers um i would agree with you it wasn't dramatically different than most years and i think part of that is then just the volume of public land of the forests in wisconsin and michigan and in minnesota yeah. and you know you can't see trucks like you can in pheasant country but sure. there's there's no doubt in my mind like the grasslands of pheasant country and the great plains like uh bob boy quail country um so i'm talking nebraska kansas south dakota north dakota minnesota it was unbelievable amount of people in a good way but i mean there was it, particularly minnesota wma's for pheasants i mean it was like grab a number <laughs> and and uh oh, there were there you, were people you're hun- all over bob uh
2: i got to i got to hunt minnesota for the first time in my life this year uh, even though it's right there, it, I don't really have a lot of reason to go that way to go hunt pheasants. You know what I mean?
0: Uh, no, why would but, you come uh, visit we, me?
2: Right. Exa- well, I am going to come visit you next year because, uh, I, I, I definitely want to go chase some rough grouse over there. But, um, <laughs> we were there in Iowa, uh, on the opening weekend of Iowa deer season. And so we were on the Iowa side of the border, but the Minnesota side was just like a mile away. And so we decided we were going to hunt Ooh. Minnesota for pheasants instead of Iowa. And we got there early and every single piece of public land, there was a truck parked on. It was insane Ooh. how many people were hunting in southern Minnesota this year.
0: Yeah. And thankfully, there were, there were good bird numbers to support that much uh, mm-hmm. um, energy around it. Um, all right. So if we move towards, you know, the minute the season ends, what's the next thing you do? You start thinking about next year right next hunting yep. season uh absolutely so and, and i know durrell you're not done yet so we won't we won't end it out early on you
3: but uh, i'm not
0: gonna rub it in <laughs> i'm not gonna rub it
3: in but you know
0: <laughs> uh i want to know what what's on your um what's on your radar what you're excited about as you look for forward to um autumn 2021 let's start let's start with uh, Project Upland podcast Nick Larson
1: yeah I, like you said it definitely the mind goes right towards uh, right towards the next season for sure there's there's a few things that keep us all busy between now and then right like I, I have this ritual of as soon as I quit hunting birds in the winter I start hunting for guns and start looking for my next gun so I've been doing a little bit of that lately Not <laughs> I'm not overly determined to buy anything i try to be real picky which helps me be patient so i'm doing that and we'll what we'll, are you we'll looking do...
0: for well so, gotta get a 28
1: man i had a 28 and then i sold it because of uh some other factors that it was um I, i'm probably gonna get it i'm hoping to get a 28 this year i think i've got a line on one of those so i'm kind of that's scrolled away in the back of my mind what i'm determined to find is a lightweight vintage 12 gauge because I've, th- I've pretty much hunted, uh, all with sub bores. I used to have a 12 gauge when I was younger grouse hunting. Um, but I'm, I just, I really want to have a, a lightweight vintage 12 gauge and try that in the grouse woods and maybe out West. My trip to South Dakota spurred that a little bit. When I went out there, I had guns that I could have used, but I, uh, I've got a friend here that he's got a whole pile of guns and I borrowed a uh, Belgian Frankcott 12 gauge from him. Brought that out there, carried it. Really liked shooting that. Now I'm just kind of, I guess that's a kick that I'm on. So, I'm looking for a vintage 12 gauge. If anybody is uh, got a <laughs> got a lead on one, <laughs> I got some people looking for me. So, but as far as next year goes, I I'm like Tyler was saying about when you go to a new place, kind of expect to be sort of confused for the first year or two. Um, I'm getting that like to that stage where my confidence is growing when I'm hunting sharptails and that that sharptail hunt has become one of my favorite ways to, to do the early season, because as you know, Bob, the grouse woods in September are kind of a, it's a love hate relationship there. Like we go because we can, but uh, to go out West, walk the short grass prairie. And again, to Tyler's point of the sharptail being sort of underappreciated, like now that I've sort of discovered what the sharptail is and what that hunting is like. I'm, I'm like wondering where are the books that have been written about sharptails? Like there's books about rough grouse and there's books about woodcock and there's books about quail. Like where are the books and the stories about sharptail? And again, if you guys know of any, like, I, I don't know why it's, why it seems that's that way with the sharptail, but that's one of my favorite hunts. So I I'm going to do that. Um, I have every intention of getting out west hunt sharp sharptails in September, and then I'll retreat back home to the, to the rough cross woods and and do that and and th- now I've kind of had my eyes opened a little bit to like especially as we get later in the season here things can get dicey we never know what's going to happen with the weather this year we were very fortunate and and that favorable weather kind of played out across the upper midwest um so I think we when I went to south dakota in november I think we had really good weather there um but that trip was cool just heading a little bit south and a little bit west you got pheasants, you got sharptails, the potential for chickens. I didn't see any, but I think I'd like to get back to South Dakota next year. Uh, yeah, I know you did. You went shortly after me and I was getting the, getting the report there, but I'm kind of like, like if I go to the sandwich shop, I get something that I like, I go back and I get the same thing every time. Like, I don't need to mix it up all the time. I like to keep doing sort of the same thing. So give me a little bit of sharptails, some rough grouse and and another trip to South Dakota pheasant hunting or somewhere. Um, Quail I guess I would have to put in there as sort of the X factor like when January rolled around this year everything was done here and then my mind started going where are the seasons open where could I get to and so I think you know the Kansas Nebraska not too far I don't know that Arizona's on the radar next year but maybe something to to put Bob White Quail into the mix next year that would be a goal of mine
0: living where you do in Duluth do you ever uh, go after, sh- uh, sprucies, spruce grouse. You know
1: what? I used to see more spruce grouse. Um, never really specifically targeted them, but when I, when I was younger, I would hunt a much smaller core area of Minnesota. I was, wasn't hunting Wisconsin at that time mm-hmm. and that was mainly dogless, but I would, I would really focus on hunting in the arrowhead region of Minnesota where, spru- mm-hmm. where you typically find spruce grouse. Um, I would see them from time to time, and I've I've definitely put a few in the bag. I, I mean, I don't know that I've killed more than ten spruce grouse, but maybe ten over the year, over the last twenty years or so. Um, but I've never I've never gone back after them with the dogs, so mm-hmm. that's something that I have not done. Cool.
0: Yeah, I, I did get my first sprucey this year, and yeah, um, it's just it was within half a mile of the boundary waters, you know, and now I want to take that next step and actually go into the boundary waters, you know, paddle the canoe, go into a portage with the dog and just, um, you know, really make it a a wilderness experience with spruces. Was it hard? Was it
1: hard to find the spruce grouse? Like what, what was the storyline of that trip? Did you find it right away or,
0: um, you know, I was hunting rough grouse with uh, a, a side of hope, you know, like, And uh, I was passing through basically a tamarack slew and it flushed right out of the edge of a, a forest service road um, okay. off of my, my young gitch. I'd like to say my young dog, Gitchy, pointed in rock solid. That didn't happen at all. <laughs> 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 but, uh, but I, I got, I got one, I got the first spruce he ever saw, which cool. uh, we call, <laughs> we call that. Are pheasants forever Auduboning a bird? You ever heard of this term? <laughs> I so, haven't. <laughs> so, you know who John James Audubon was, right? He wrote yes. all these books about discovering birds. So, we have this term if you, and this got to all be legal, right? But if you <laughs> shoot a legal game bird the very first time you ever lays, lay eyes on it, that's called Autobotting it. So <laughs> I did that with blue <laughs> this year. Okay. I yeah. liked it. So you know, you got the license, you you know what it looks like based on a photo. But like if you've seen this bird, right. uh, and you, you know, even outside of the season, like I brought people like spring woodcock training. You know, and they'll see their first woodcock and they're like, oh, now I can never autobot it. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're actually carrying a shotgun into the woods or into the field for the first time that you could ever actually shoot something and you get it, which in and of itself is like, I see it, identify it as legal and what it is. And then you make the shot, Right. autobotting. So that's kind of a running pheasants forever, quail forever terminology <laughs> I'll have to store
1: that one away there's only so many birds you can audubon you know once
0: you see right all. <laughs> right <laughs> um all right durrell what are you looking at and again i don't want to fast forward you to the end of the season but what are you looking forward to um as you as you look towards autumn of uh 2021 um you you know what is crazy you're not really
3: fast forwarding to me because i'm starting to Around this time, I start to, you know, it's it's on a down spiral anyway. I'm already thinking about what's next. Um, I've got this really nice new female, um, new pointer that I'm doing a bit of rebuilding on. Um, so, so I can breed her next year. Um, so I'm actually looking forward to solo hunting her. Because mm. um, I just run her with, I run my dogs in braces. Um, but there's some little things, little quirks that I want to kind of get out of her and she's, I mean, she's super sweet dog, super nice dog. Um, but then also I'm looking forward to a new puppy, new setter puppy. So I'm going to be up in there with Tyler next. Um, <laughs> yeah, and Nick, yeah, and getting a little puppy on some wild birds. So, um, those are my two, um, like, I mean, just the things that I'm really amped up about is getting some new dogs, um, you know, hunting the way I like mm-hmm.
0: them to hunt. Yep. A, a new dog makes it a special year no matter what, doesn't it?
3: Yep. Oh, yeah. I I like developing these young dogs, man. I think, like, that's my, like, that's the thing that, like, really gets me amped up is seeing, you know, uh, young dogs bust that first covey and just completely screw it up and it's a train wreck. Yeah. And then that light bulb comes on and they're like, Oh shoot, I wasn't supposed to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's a thing for me. And you know, my, my, my two most consistent dogs now, I mean, they, they, you know, it's, it's we running and gunning at this point in time. Um, but these two new ones, man, that's, that's what I'm looking forward yeah. to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, Tyler.
0: What's what's Mister what's Mister Mix Bag have on his radar?
2: Well, how much time you got, Bob? Because I got a good answer here. So, uh, all right. So, first things first. Um, once once the season ends here, there's a couple things that I'm looking for uh, for next year already. What kind of moisture are they getting in Arizona right now? Uh, like the winter Ooh. rains are going to dictate their desert quail, and they got a lot already. They had a big snowstorm down there. Widespread rains. They pretty much are right where they need to be as far as at least having the same number of birds next year. Um, And maybe even they're at that point now where it could exponentially grow still. The next thing is going to be monsoons in July and August for the merns quail. Uh, that's what I'm going to be looking for. Uh, I'm in July. I'm on my weather app like a nerd in the evenings, just staring at the radar, hoping that there's going to be rains in Southern Arizona. Because if um, mm. if if they get the monsoons and they have the desert birds, my mail is going to be forwarded to Arizona come December one, and I ain't coming <laughs> back till season's done because it's going to be great. So as far as so one season starts. We already got a plan, uh, last weekend down at, uh, at Greg Cronkite's in South Dakota when we were down there for the last, last week in a season, which I know Bob is super sad he didn't get to go cause I invited him and, and actually Nick too. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what's the matter with you guys, but, uh, you know, we, we, we just knocked the <laughs> crap out of him for three days. So, uh, but, um, we, we already got a plan. So we're going to, we're going to revisit the, the North or the Montana grouse slam again, uh, all five species of Montana grouse in a week. But we're adding a secondary stop on that one in South Dakota in the Fort Pier for prairie chickens. Cool. So we're going to try to get the North America grouse slam in in like eight days. And then we're going to wrap Ooh. that around where we come right back up here into North Dakota and hit the opening weekend for sharptails and huns here at home as well. Um, so that's that's for next year. The one that I'm already planning uh, that is consuming way more of my time and energy than it should, though, is uh, is a late August, early September 2022 hunt uh, where I'm going to road trip to Alaska and do a a float trip down a river for caribou and ptarmigan um, where there's going to be three of us. We're going to drive all the way. Uh, each gonna take our most experienced dog and we're gonna get dropped off by a bush plane on a river someplace and we're hopefully gonna come out of there with uh, all three people all three dogs and a couple <laughs> of caribou and, and and some ptarmigan so that one's already yeah. occupying a lot of my time because as you can imagine the uh, logistics on a trip like that are yeah. a lot I mean you're ta- you're talking about uh, I mean it's my buddy Brent from Michigan is going to go, it's going to be 5,000 mile drive each way or something just insane like that. Because, uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but Canada's big, uh, (laughs) and it's a long ways to get up there. So I
3: I heard that somewhere. Who who knew?
2: But, uh, so that's, that's already taking up a lot of my brain space, but, uh, um, I I also don't want to, uh, me probably with GoPros, oh, unless you guys want to come with, but, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but somebody should, because it's going to be pretty awesome. But, yeah. the, uh, uh I, I don't want to, I don't want to glaze over North Dakota though, either, because, um, first of all, it's my home state. I love it here. I love hunting here. I know that you guys do too. Um, but we haven't had a winter yet. We haven't had any snow. Um, we have a lot of carryover birds from this year. And if we can get some moisture at well time moisture this spring, I mean, it could be ridiculous over here this next year. I mean, when I left my house this morning, I would have had to mow my grass if it wouldn't have been zero degrees outside. There's no snow.
1: Wow!
2: So uh, the birds are the birds are going to come out of out of winter in really really good shape, and uh, I'm really expecting to see a big boom in pheasant and sharp tail numbers next year here in the state.
0: You are as dialed in to the weather as any meteorologist I've ever met.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and that's well, meteorologists, the all they have to gain, all, all the meteorologists <laughs> can gain or lose is just being right. So, yeah. I mean, I'm dialed in because I, it's going to dictate my entire year. I mean, I'm going to be out there as much as possible anyways, but it, it may change where I'm going to end up.
1: I can't believe you don't have any snow out there. That's crazy.
0: Yeah.
1: So that does that. So if... They, you don't have snow right now, but we're going to obviously have some super cold temps this weekend, but the, the sharp tails are obviously, I mean, they're native to that landscape. They're they're Where do they go? I mean, they're just hunkered down.
2: They they, they just, they, they live in the choke cherry thickets yeah. and the
1: buffalo berry bushes yeah. and everything else, and they fly out of the prairie
2: and go out into the egg fields to feed. Yeah. Um, winter doesn't affect sharp tails at all. Uh, it really doesn't affect huns all that much either. Yeah, uh, huns can really tolerate a winter very well. They, they you know, they, they, uh, um, they'll huddle up in these really tight little balls about the size of a basketball and they'll actually rotate inside to keep everybody warm and they can snow roost. Uh, I mean, huns are very well adapted to being up here. It's pheasants are always kind of the X factor. Yeah. So, um, our really good friends at pheasants forever keep telling me every time I interview one of the biologists on my show that, uh, it's, it's really comes down to what kind of shape the hens come out of the winter in. And this year, Mm. I mean, even if we do get smoked with a winter from here on out, I mean, the hens have, there's a lot of food on the ground and they're, they're in great shape right now. Yeah. Um. And plus, I mean, just looking at, the, I'm, I really do spend way too much time on my weather app on my phone, but uh, <laughs> j- just looking at the extended <laughs> forecast in like the next 15 days, we're only supposed to have a cold snap here for like a week and right. then it's supposed to be back up into the upper twenties again.
1: So and I then mean, mid February at that point. Yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah. So I, I'm I'm very hopeful uh, on on we we are going to need some moisture in the spring. I mean, there's no doubt about that. With with That's the total true. lack of snow two years yeah. in a row, we are going to need some rain.
0: I was nervous when I lined this up that we'd be like the uh, the Celtics, um, you know, super groups, uh, you know, with Kevin <laughs> Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce and uh, Ray <laughs> well, Allen. I love him with, with all these birds well, over I, here. So I thought you know like.
3: He's an outlier. He ain't even on the subject. He's an outlier.
0: <laughs> I, I was thinking, like, how you know, how, we don't have enough microphones like to, to to handle like all the those super basketball groups. Like, there's not enough balls to go around. But, but you guys, you guys have been awesome. Uh, I really appreciate you know dedicating uh, you know an hour or evening um, to to join in pheasants forever and quail forever. We'll, we'll wrap it up with kind of you know I'll let you take it where you want to go. Do you want to give a kind of a, a tip, something you learned this year, closing thought um, on on the year? You know, just give us a, a a final thought, and then let our listeners, our pheasants forever and quail forever faithful, um, know how to to check out each of your your podcasts as well. Uh, and we can we'll start with Darrell. Okay. Um,
3: I think just for relevance being that I have a whole baby in my arms right now, <laughs> um, this season was weird, man. Like I had my son was born right before our season started. So, you know, the conversation comes up all the time about like, ah, oh, like don't have a kid, you know, during the hunting season. And as it's, it's great of a joke as it is, like it does still work out. Um, what it did teach me to maximize the time with my kids in addition to still maximizing the time out in the field with my dogs um if you're in a situation like mine get to those wmas and keep hitting them you know these are you know hundreds and thousands of acres of 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 free public land and try different spots You know, my, my buddies and I, we came to the conclusion it might take us two or three seasons, like y'all were saying earlier, to really cover this ground. And, and man, all these new cubbies, these beautiful, big, healthy cubbies were found in areas that I had never gone to. And I was still able to go hunt effectively, get out there, get the job done and do it in a way that I wanted to do and still get back here and be a dad to my kids. It can be done. Um, but you just, I think hunting new spots is great. And I definitely want to do that. Um, particularly next year, but if you don't have the time to do it, man, like maximize the opportunities where you are, you know, go try new stuff. Like I'm in a situation this year where I, I just really had the, the room to just try something, try something new in an area that I'm already familiar
0: yeah, with. That's good advice. Yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah. the gun dog notebook right? <laughs> the Gun Dog Notebook. Yes, sir. That is
3: most local, you know, podcasting platforms. So, you know, your typical Apple podcast, Google, you know, play your Spotify's a couple of random pod catchers will catch them. Um, you know, thegundognotebook.com.
0: Um, if those are, you know, most everyone. Um, if folks haven't listened before, what's what's an episode you'd point people to that you're particularly Ooh. proud of. Oh, 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 I got a lot of good ones recently.
3: Um, George Hickox was good. Um the episode that I did with my buddy Neil Carter was good. Um and one of my favorite episodes was with Tommy Rice, Pro Trialer down Ooh. here. Tommy has been a real big influence for me, um, and a huge help. Um, and then my, uh, the other episode with my buddy, Terry Chastain. So that's, that's four that <laughs> I can give you that just, <laughs> my head. I, I was geeking out when I was doing it, man. So.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. I'm, I'm yeah, geeking yeah, out yeah. right now. Thank you for, for being a part of, part of this episode. <laughs> yes, sir. Thank you. Uh, Nick, what's your closing yeah. thought and, uh, Uh, give us a Project Upland podcast you want to point folks towards.
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, Bob, thanks for definitely having the three of us on. Uh, Appreciate being here on the Pheasants Forever podcast and uh, certainly appreciate the work that you and everybody else at Pheasants Forever and Quill Forever does. And I think all of us recognize that a lot of the opportunities that we love to pursue in the fall would not be uh, possible without organizations like yours. So thank you for that. Uh, Mine will be is maybe a little cliche, but I've got a good, good example here. And that is to really enjoy every day you get in the uplands because you never know how many you're going to get. You never Mm -hmm. know when the season's going to end or when you're not going to be able to get back out there. And I had a good reminder of that this year. I went hunting with, I met up with a listener of the podcast. Um, he had, he was coming up from the South. I think he's down in Kentucky. Um, young man named Jackson, he was coming up to do some grouse hunting and I met him in the woods. We went out hunting. We actually met up with another friend of mine, Jared Elm. He works for the rough grouse society and we went out grouse hunting and we kept, we had a slow day in the grouse woods. We got into some woodcock. We did not flush a whole lot of grouse. I think we hunted three different spots and it may have been my slowest day of the season. This was early October. So it wasn't like the end of the season or anything, but there were only two grouse bagged that day and Jackson Got them both, which happened to be his first and second rough grouse mm-hmm. ever. He shot, he shot at two, killed two. He may have, he may have Audubon that one. Bob, I'm not <laughs> sure. I, I don't think he had ever been in the presence of a rough grouse, but I think he Audubon his first and second rough grouse. <laughs> and we were, we were, myself and Jared were very excited for him, we were happy, and we took pictures and celebrated, and um, we parted ways. I had to get back home. Jackson was, he was on a big swing road trip, hunting some other birds. So we left and I just driving home, the thought that was going through my head was, gosh, that was a slow day. That was a slow day. Cause the season was off to a good start. And that was like, that was where my head was at. And it wasn't until a couple of weeks later, Jackson sent me a, uh, a thank you note in the mail with a bottle of gin. He went way overboard, but he wrote this note and just the excitement that he felt on that day hunting and shooting his first two grouse and how appreciative he was listener of the podcast and everything it was a reminder to myself hey enjoy every day for what it is it's it's a chance to be in the uplands with Mm -hmm. with friends and how exciting that day was to him was you know it was a total like misrepresentation in my mind so it was a good reminder from jackson and and uh i really appreciated that so i would tell people to it's hard to get out of our heads sometimes, but do that and enjoy every day.
0: That is, it just hits me. It hits really close to home. I got a email from a, a gentleman, young younger guy, younger than me anyways, uh, early 20s today uh, from Taylor's Falls area, Minnesota. Yep. And his uh, short hair was hit by a car last night and, and died. And um, he he reached out to me because he... He had heard and uh, listened to my story on, on KFAN about my pup, Izzy, a number yeah. of years ago that 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 had an accident in the woods and died. And and um, I've talked with him probably 20 times over the course of the last 24 hours. And, um, um, you know, your, your point about Cherish every day, you know, it, it just – that is so true for you, for your dog – For your mom, for your dad, for your daughter, for your wife, whoever, whoever you go out there with or for yourself. Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's you just never know. So it's a good reminder. Uh, Yeah. A particular episode of Project Upland that uh, you want to point folks towards.
1: Yeah, like Darrell, I think we're. I just yesterday I published episode number one hundred and thirty-two. So there's a pile of them, and and <laughs> you never want to you never want to leave any of your guests out. We've had some we've had some really great conversations. I will, uh, I'll throw out um, an episode from last fall. I think it's called DIY Sharp Tails with a friend of mine, Ted Summer. Uh, Ted is. One of the, one of my favorite people to hunt with, he's just the way that he goes about his business in the uplands and anything he's hunting really, or fishing, um, he's a riot. I would encourage people to listen to that one. And then, um, one from the summer would be with, uh, Jerry Coulter training grouse dogs, developing, developing grouse dogs and puppies. Um, I've got both my dogs from him, and Jerry's a wealth of knowledge. Uh, really, really enjoyed that conversation and got to spend some time with him at his kennel. So that, that would give folks a good taste of the Project Upland podcast. And you can find it anywhere podcasts are available, projectupland.com. You can find it there. Um, pretty easy to, to track down.
0: And speaking of just you know how small a world it is, I don't know if, have you heard the story about Ted? A connection to
1: me? Uh Does it have to do with your brother working on the phone again?
0: Yeah. Okay. I, I, <laughs> that would be we, my guess. Well, the two things, like me and Zeman are out training dogs in northwest Wisconsin and up pulls Ted, and I've never met Ted before. <laughs> I just know known him from social media. That and doesn't they, matter with Ted. Right, well, no. was, so we get talking, he's like, you know I work with your brother. I'm like, what? <laughs> 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 so pretty pretty funny small world yeah all right mr mix bag birds booze and buds tyler yes sir
3: and, yes and stop sir okay. Can I stop and then, tyler? i'm gonna rename you in my phone mr <laughs> <laughs> mix Bag. i like okay? it i like it also, so that's your name now perfect i'm down, I'm down. Right? <laughs> uh
2: i got to do uh i mean i i get to do a lot as you guys have gathered from the last hour of us talking but uh one thing that I'm kind of running out of these opportunities and every time that I, I I get one uh, it reminds me how exciting it is. And that's going to hunt a new bird species. Mm -hmm. Um, Go and try to do that once, like try to do it once a year. Uh, You know, as bird hunters, we really do kind of get stuck in, you know, I know I can go to this field and I can shoot pheasants or I can go to this rough grouse spot. And I can, I mean, if you can get out and find birds on a new spot or hunt a new species Man, is that rewarding! And I got to do—I got to shoot my first spruce grouse this year, uh, my first blue grouse, which, by the way, maybe one of my new favorite birds. Those things are cool. They're like rough grouse that are roughly the size of a small turkey. Um, and then uh, I also got to go and chase um, prairie chickens uh, in South Dakota on the Fort Pier. Uh And I, I'd shot some before in Kansas, but th- it was—it was—is it was just different. So, getting a chance to get out there and, and just kind of hunting a new species of bird is something that I really, I, like I said, I'm running out of the opportunities cause I've almost got them all now, but, uh, uh, it's, uh, it, it really is. It, it's, it's one of my favorite things to do, uh, every fall if I get a chance to, mm-hmm. um, and as far as, uh, as episodes go, I just did one here just the other day with a couple guys from, uh, um, uh, geez, uh, Tristan and Mike from, a. Uh, um, um, Oh my gosh! Why am I blanking on the name? Uh, hunt to eat, <laughs> of course. Oh, there yeah, you go. like like. and, and, yeah, well, and the problem team. is that is it Mike is a like he's a I'm judge for NAVDA, and, Murphy, right? and he's he he's a hunt to eat ambassador and he's a uh, like he's everywhere. Rough grouse society, yep. backcountry hunters and anglers. But uh, that was a really good episode. I was really I was really happy with the way that one turned out. A couple of guys that really like to get out and get after it. Um, and then I, I republished one, uh, my very first season, uh, which, uh, by the way, Nick, uh, I, I started just a little bit before Nick and I got 185 episodes, yeah. I think now. So, uh, beating you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh,
1: more days in the field, uh, more episodes.
2: Yeah. I know. I know. Um, uh, but, uh, I d- I reposted <laughs> one with Warner Glenn. He's a famous mountain lion hunter from down in Southern Arizona that I just republished here a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And I listened back to it and I hadn't, I mean, Warner's in his eighties now, but, uh, that guy has got some stories. I know it's not bird hunting related, but anytime that you get to sit down and talk to a guy who's been hunting mountain lions for like 70 years. It's well worth your time and it's a fun listen.
3: So go back and listen to that one as well. Hey, can I, can I can I co-sign you, Tyler, real quick before we, you know, scoot? Sure. Um, I am a huge as a as a as a, a bird dog guy that I've had a, a hound before and had pit bulls back in the day. Um, that Warner Glenn episode, man, I'm I'm a big fan of your podcast as is. But, bro, there's a, there's a lot to learn from them, them, them yeah. hound dog guys, yeah. man. There's a lot to learn that translates over to bird
2: dogs. 100%. I mean, sending conditions.
3: As, world, man. I,
2: I sat and talked to him. It's one of my favorite topics. I'm going to be doing a couple podcasts on it are sending conditions because it's such a black hole topic, yeah. right? I mean, anybody mm-hmm. who's ever spent a lot of time and like, there are days where you're like, my dogs couldn't find birds in a parking lot. They just Ooh. couldn't. And like, and some some of those days are days where on paper it should be good sun and condition days. And sitting down and talking to a guy who's a, a dry ground lion dog uh, lion chaser,
3: that there a lot of a lot of intel there for sure. They, they get it. I don't know what it is, but they Ooh. get it. Yeah, they have an explanation for everything, and it it makes Ooh. sense. Right. So just a shout to you. I'm glad you put that Warner Glenn episode good on there, man. That thing about five, six
2: times. <laughs> I need to read, I, I need to go down and interview him again because I've gotten slightly better at it since I did that. was like episode like 15, like 160 episodes ago. I think I've gotten a little bit better at it. And there every time I listen to it again, it's like, God, why didn't you ask him that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, man, that
3: was the Western Wing
2: suitor right there, <laughs> man. Right, like.
0: That's right. <laughs> well, fellas, I do want to once again um A, thank you for your time be all of you have had you know biologists members of pheasants forever and quail forever on your episodes helping yeah. spread spread our message our habitat message um so sincerely thank you for for helping us um and then most importantly thanks for for jumping in and joining this community and growing the community with your podcasts um it it is so wonderful to see the diversification in every sense of that word, right? The the different birds, the different people yep. we're trying to reach, the different uh, geographies, e- even the different types of dogs you said are guys. I got a short hair with me right now too. You you shouldn't have said that, Tyler. You
3: you went wrong there. You were fine. You brought short hairs.
0: But you know, it's a it's a pleasure to to be in the same company with all of you fellas, and and, uh, it's it's made for a richer upland community. So thanks for what you do.
2: Well, I sure hope that next year at this time we're doing it live at Pheasant Fest. Yeah. So I know yeah. I can speak for all of us and we can do this live next year in person and uh, we can actually, you know, talk off air as well because I, there's a <laughs> lot of things that I want to talk to you guys about. <laughs> I'm in. Yeah. Um,
0: save the date. March 22, <laughs> yeah. Omaha, we Nebraska. We'll see everybody there. Sweet. Uh, all right, folks. Pheasants forever, quail forever, are faithful, um, I hope you had as wonderful of an upland bird hunting season as our guy, Tyler Webster. <laughs> I doubt a- I doubt anybody had quite as good a season as Tyler, but hopefully it was close. Uh, thank you for listening to this episode of On the Wing podcast. I'm Bob St. Pierre saying always follow the dog. Something good is going to rise. Thanks, folks.